We are in the second week, uh, for those of you uh, who are here for the first time or if you're forgetting, we're in the second week of our three-week series on vision and values. And when we say vision, we, 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 we talk about these three words or these three um, phrases that are on your bulletin, they're on our website, we talk about them occasionally, of being revived in God, refreshed in community, and released in purpose. And embedded within those three vision statements are values that we think are at the center of who God is. And so we've been talking, we talked about that last week in relation to being revived in God. I'll touch on that a little bit more. You can't actually, they're not distinct from each other. They all happen together. We get revived in God through community. We find community in the place of being released in our giftings, which we'll talk about next week. So they all work together. But we're, we're emphasizing a different aspect of them each week. And this, this week we're going to talk about being refreshed in community. I'll give you a second to think about that word refreshed. What does refresh mean to you? So don't say anything. Just think about it. I said that in the last service and people just started talking. So it's good. What does it mean to be refreshed? Okay, now you can talk. Give me some give me some thoughts about refreshment. What's that? <laughs> Vacations. Depends on uh, how many little kids you have, right? <laughs> what else? Energized. New or new vision. Yeah. So something is new. Okay. Absolutely. Rest brings refreshment. I like that. Swimming in the ocean on a hot day. It's funny, Dorothy, you uh, brought up, not the ocean, but when I thought about refreshment, I said this in the first service, I thought about, and again, this will date me uh, I'm, I'm, uh, as an old person, but there was a commercial back in the 70s for Nestea, and the, uh, the, yeah, you got it, the, uh, the uh, response was the Nestea Plunge. And uh, I, when I think about refreshment, I think about falling into or jumping into some cold, refreshing water. Okay, so we all have vision or we all have perspectives in different ways of what refreshes. And I think everything that we just shared is an aspect of refreshment in the context of God's community. We're thirsty, we're dry, we're parched, and there's a drink that God gives us. Or there's a physical uh, and or spiritual or emotional or relational um, uh, newness or uh, um, life that God brings to us. Something that is dull and meaningless comes to life in our, in our spiritual walks or in our relational place of need. Um, and we want to be that kind of people at Antioch Waltham. We want to be a people that, that are being refreshed by God and that are refreshing others. So that's one aspect that I want to start off with is that refreshing community only happens when there is not only a giving, but a receiving, right? We have to give and receive to be refreshed. How many of you have experienced, all of us, but let's, let's go there, where we have been in a place of dryness or aloneness or discouragement or whatever that looks like, and somebody in the body of Christ or somebody's, a group of people, whatever it looks like, brings something to us. Maybe an encouraging word, maybe it's a meal, maybe it's a service. Whatever it is, something is given to us and we are refreshed. Anybody ever experienced that? I mean, maybe yesterday, you know, or this morning. 
And what automatically happens when you get refreshed? You want to give something back, don't you? You start off with a smile. You start off with thanksgiving. You give them a hug. You want to totally give back to the person or the people that have refreshed you. But it usually goes beyond that. After that moment has occurred, now you're thinking, how can I be like that for other people? It, it does something to you. It imparts something into your life. And, and I believe at the, the, the heart of community, biblical community, is this mutual caring for one another, this mutual encouragement, that, this mutual self-sacrifice that honors and prefers one another. <clears throat> I mentioned this last week in my message, but if you had been here last Saturday, <clears throat> there was a beautiful expression of refreshment in our church. We had called people together from the three churches. If, uh, if you're not familiar, we are a, a church with three congregations, one here in Waltham, one in Brighton, and one in Beverly. And we encourage everybody to come into this space and for the full Saturday morning just to, to be together. And we had funny moments. We did some, some funny skits. We worshiped together. We shared vision for this year and what God was wanting to do in our midst. We, we prophetically listened and spoke in each other's lives. Um, there was all kinds of interactions going on, from laughing to crying uh, to faith to worship. It was a powerful, powerful experience. In, in a sense, for those four hours as the larger church of Antioch, we were refreshed and revived in God and refreshed in community. Um, and coming out of that time, one of the participants of that week sent this email, and I, and I, I thought it kind of spoke to, to what we're talking about this morning. She said, about that day, she said, what a totally refreshing and powerful atmosphere. So, so good. The Lord met me in so many ways that it seems he filled in a big portion of the tapestry of my life. Isn't that good? In one four-hour moment of time in our lives, and four hours is not a lot of time, um, in that, that half of a day, there were some significant things. And she had in a, in a, and then she went on and actually, if I get, showed you the whole email, she, she broke it down into five or six ways in which God spoke to her and ministered to her, including one was her, the way that she ministered into other people's lives. But in that one snapshot of life, God brought refreshing community to her and to many more. That's what we're longing to see happen in the church. True biblical community comes with refreshing joy, and it comes with deep fellowship with one another. One of the key scriptures that we always look at when we talk about community or that we often look at is in Acts 2, 42 through 47. So look with me there. <clears throat> if you brought your Bibles, if you brought your phones, or however you're looking at the Word of God, if you don't have any of that, we'll put it on the screen. I encourage you to always, always have some form of the Bible with you. And the reason I want that is because I, I want you to learn how to handle the Word of God. I don't want it just to be something you see on the screen, but I want you to be able to, to go there, look there, mark in it, highlight it. Um, let God speak to you through, your, through the Word of God that's in your possession. <clears throat> so before we look at this passage of Scripture, just a little context for Acts 2.42. Jesus has lived on earth. He's died on the cross for our sins and our forgiveness, our salvation. Three days later, he rose from the grave by the power of God, and he appeared multiple times over the next 40 or so days to different disciples and different groupings. 
revealing that not only was he was alive, but giving them vision for what their life was going to be lived for in the days to come and months and years to come. And then he ascended into heaven. And before he ascended into heaven, the last thing he said is he said to his disciples, stay in Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit being his spirit, the, the, other, the, the part of the Trinity that lives in us today. Wait for the Spirit of God to come. And when he comes upon you, he will come. This is in Acts 1.8. He will come upon you with power. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in, to, in Samaria, and to the other parts of the earth. So they waited, they prayed, and then on Pentecost, the Spirit of God descended upon the church. <clears throat> Craziness happened, you know. Um, tongues of fire on their heads, speaking in tongues, speaking in multiple languages. Um, joy, uh, they looked like they were drunk. There was this overwhelming, powerful encounter with God. And out of that encounter, people started to gather who, who were in Jerusalem um, to celebrate Pentecost. They began to gather around this place where this was happening. I have no idea how that happened logistically other than supernaturally. Uh, thousands of people gathered. Peter, one of the disciples, stands up and preaches to the crowd under the power of the Holy Spirit. And it says that thousands of people got saved that day. After they got saved, they've come from all over the world. They start a church. I, again, have no idea how this happens, but what we see after that happens is that thousands of people start living together, living in the same area together, and doing church together. And everything was perfect thereafter. You know what? You are a much more intellectual crowd than the first service. I just want you to know that. Because I said that and they didn't laugh. I had to ask them again. So way to go. This is a way more in tune crowd. Yeah, we know that that's not true, right? We know that when Christians get together, as perfect as it should be, it's not always perfect. You know, someone said, I love church, it's the people I have a problem with. Uh, That theology does not work because the church is not a building, it's people. So when you say you love church, it's not only an affection or an emotion, it's a commitment. And the only way that church works is when we are committed to love people who are imperfect. Praise the Lord that someone loved me in my imperfection. I shared this morning, I'll share with you again. When I was a college student, I went to a church and they assigned me to a small group. We don't do that here. We might should assign some of you to some small groups. And you'll understand when I share my story. They assigned me to a small group and I walked into the room. It was a men's group. And I walked into the room, and not long after I was with these guys and hearing their story, I thought, I don't like these guys. I don't think that I would hang out with any of these guys outside this room. And, you know, God, just between you and me, they need some help. They're not that cool like me. And, you know, they just need help. Well, guess what happened? I for whatever reason, committed to that group as they committed to me. And over the course of the year, I realized that they were getting a lot cooler. And they were getting a lot more spiritual. And they, they, all of a sudden, they happened to catch up with me on all, in all the ways in which I outshined them at the beginning of that group. <laughs> Actually, what was happening was that God was revealing to me in my pride that I had a lot of work that he wanted to do in me. And then in my judgment and in my, uh, my assessment of the group, God began to assess me. 
And what I realized is that we all need help. And we all have different strengths and we all have different weaknesses. And when we come together, God does something unbelievably beautiful when Jesus is in the center. He makes us look more like him. And as a result, we love each other better. That's really what community is about. Letting Jesus have his way with us. And when he has his way with us, he begins to develop and put into us a love and a respect for one another. All right. So this could be messy, this community thing. It could be refreshing, and it could absolutely be transforming. Look with me at Acts 2.42-47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, and everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's the word of God. Every time I read this passage of scripture, two things happen to me simultaneously. Even the second time I've read it this morning. I read it with fresh eyes, and I, and I say, God, thank you. I have experienced almost every one of these things. I mean, I, not almost every one of them. I've experienced every single one of these attributes that we see in the early church. One, a testimony to what was going on in the church, but also what he wants, how he wants us to live life. I've seen it, and I've experienced it, and it's awesome. And then the the simultaneous emotion or feeling I have when I read it is, oh, God, I want to see more of this. Why are we so lacking? Why can't we? Every single one of them. I'm like, God, I'm experiencing. God, I want to see more of it. And I think that is the tension that we live anytime we open the word of God. Anytime we come into God's presence, we are filled with thankfulness like we were out of worship this morning. And we're filled with a longing for more. So as we talk about these things today, don't let either one of those trip you up. We, we've experienced it. We're praising God. There's been places where we haven't experienced it. And yet we're longing for more of God's kingdom, more of his outpouring. So kind of like my illustration of that is kind of like ice cream on a hot day. Right? Ice cream cones, when you get ice cream on a sunny day, they're not ever enough. You get to the bottom of that thing, you're like, why didn't they put more ice cream in the bottom of this? Did they not stuff it down? Why why can't this cone be bigger? Why didn't they give me more? It's not enough. But man, that was good. Right? That's what we want church to be. We want it to be an ice cream cone on a sunny day. Really awesome and not quite enough. I want more of you, Jesus. I want to experience more. We're going to be wanting more until we get to heaven. Not that we won't experience all of it, but God, we want more. Why? Because this world's full of sin. This world's full of brokenness. This world's full of human beings. And there are times we're going to be disappointed. At times we're going to be discouraged. At times that we're going to be living in the place of wanting what is not yet. And as we prayed at the end of the last service, there are prayers going on to God. For Prayers being prayed like this. God, I believe that you want to do this, but God, I haven't seen it yet. Would you help me to keep on believing? That's where we want to be. At Antioch, when we think about community, there's lots of different ways that community happens. That happens in here, it happens in the flow of Sunday morning, it happens in discipleship groups, it happens at meals, it happens in trainings, it happens all over the place. But the place that we feel like 
gives us the most opportunity for all of these things in Acts 2:42 through 47 to happen is in our life groups. So I want to show you just a, a, a diagram of life groups, kind of how we see life groups happening. And I want to say this, after the service, there's going to be a table set up outside. You might have seen it when you were walking in, people talking about life groups. There'll be tables with life group leaders and information about all the life group offerings we have. Um, hopefully there's a time and a location that works for you. If there's not, come and talk to us. Maybe we can start another life group, and maybe you can be a part of starting it. Amen? So, this is our vision, right in the center, that gray square, a community of people who are transformed by the power of God as they follow Jesus together and live lives that are full of faith. If we were to wrap up Acts 2:42 through 47 and or the experiences of the early church, we would say it was a community of people, a community of diverse people, people with lots of different backgrounds and, and things that are, they're bringing into the community that have been transformed by Jesus and his power, so much so that they live that life out in a life of faith and experience. And so surrounding that vision statement are kind of four key things, not the only things, but things that we want to be at the center of our life group experience. We want God's presence uh, to be honored and worshipped in our midst with the, the Word of God, the Bible being at the center of our conversations. In that place, we're going to develop kingdom relationships, friendships with people. And then we're going to, going to be because we're living life together. We're going to, and because Jesus is at the center, because Jesus lives in us, he wants other people to know about him. Right? He is not super thrilled when we've decided, man, we've got a great church and a life group and we don't need anything else. He is super thrilled when we say, man, we've got a great life group and we wish that other people could experience what we're experiencing in this room. That's a great life group. Whenever it becomes like this and it's not looking outward, it's, it's the beginning stages of a dying life group. But when we realize that as kingdom believers, our greatest opportunity while we live on earth is to share with others who don't know the life of Christ and to live it out among them and part of community in the church should be attractive to the world, then we're in the middle of what God's doing. True biblical community comes with the refreshing presence of God. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, and that's uh, that a couple of times in this passage of Scripture is primarily referring to um, the Lord's Supper and remembering and continuing to reflect on who Christ is and what he's done for us, um, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe. I want to stop there. The presence of God. When God is honored, and we experience that today in worship, when God is honored and we lift our hearts and our vision up to the Lord, and then we start experiencing his work in our midst, there should be awe. There should be awe. There is a prayer, and there's a phrase that we have said for 20 years since we started these churches in Boston, that we want to experience God, the presence of God in every setting. We, we are believing every time we get together for lunch, every time we have a meeting, every time we have a discipleship group, every time we have a life group, every time we're at church, whatever setting where believers come together, where two or more are gathered in his name, there God is also. We're believing that God is there, and in that place of God being there, all is going to happen. 
gifts, that awe, that we're like, wow, we just met with Jesus. Well, we just had a meeting. No, but God was in the middle of that. We just prayed together, and God's presence came and did something in our midst. In the early church, there was all. There was all. Why? Because all of these things were happening, but more than what these things, these fruits of God's presence were, at the center of the fruit of God's presence was the awe of God's presence himself. He is worthy just because he is, not because of what he does for us but because of who he is. So we want to cultivate that personally and corporately, listening and talking and fellowshipping with God. What is another way of talk? If we listen and talk to God, what is that called? Prayer. So sometimes we spiritualize the word prayer. Prayer is simply the posture of us listening and talking to God. As a matter of fact, if we don't have the first part, It's not really prayer because we are interacting with a living being, not a slot machine. When prayer becomes just asking, it's a little bit like you have become the manager and God is your administrative assistant. I've got a list, God. Here are the things I'd like for you to do for me this week. I'll check back with you next week and see if you've got them done. I'd really appreciate that you attend to number one, two, and three on the list. If you could get to four and five, it'd be okay. But uh, we'll have a good meeting next week if you get all this done. That's kind of how we approach God. I've got a to-do list, and I want you to do it. And actually, take it one step further, and if you don't do it, I'm going to be a little bit disappointed with you, God, and I might, you know, start to not believe in you. I might stop, you know what I'm saying? Versus, God, you're God. I want, you to, I want you to speak into my, my prayer list. I want you to speak to me about my life. I want to listen, and I want to encounter you. How many of you know when you start doing that, you start listening, all of a sudden he rearranges your to-do list for him? Some of the things on the list don't become that important anymore. And actually what starts to happen is you start to get more interested at times. Not just I have a list before God. I just want you to know that there are things that in my life, for me personally, I'm asking God for. But he has full reign to change that if he wants to. But he actually starts to put other people's lists on my list. And I start caring a little bit more about you and what's going on in your life. And I start feeling, he's saying, you know, that's really important. Have you thought about so-and-so? And I'm like, yeah, Lord, I want. And we start to embody the needs of the people in our church, in our life, because God's heart's not just for me. It's for all of us. Have you experienced that? That's a listening and talking to God in prayer. And so we like, as a church, to experience the awe and presence of God through prayer. This morning, Sunday mornings, the Yunes were leading out in a prayer time from 8 to 9. You can come every Sunday morning. If you want more prayer in the context of fellowship, you could come on Saturday mornings in the room without the window. Sunday mornings, excuse me. The room that is going to have a window pretty soon, right, Sarah? We're believing for a window. <laughs> she raises her hand. Prayers on Sunday mornings, we pray um, on Tuesday mornings, um, we pray in our life groups, we, we have encounter nights on a regular basis where we're worshiping and praying, we pray here on the ends of the services, at the beginning of the services at 7 o'clock in the mornings, we're here for prayer, we are trying to call out to God and listen to God all the time, and to cultivate the presence 
of God in our midst. We expect God to be in our midst. We invite God to be in our midst. And we worship him. True biblical community um, invites his presence, invites the word of uh, prayer, um, the word of God. Let me just stop there for a second. In the place of his presence is his word. Jesus is the capital W word, right? In the beginning was the word, capital W, and the word was God, the word was with God, and the word was God. That's Jesus. He is the word. And the Bible is a written expression of the living word's testimony from the beginning of time to the, the unending time with God. The word of God. God spoke. Worlds came into existence. And the life of God is, is, is communicated to us through his, his written word, the Bible. The foundation of us hearing God is through his word. So in every setting, whether it be a verse, a passage of scripture, scriptures, we are wanting to chew on, listen to, meditate on the word of God. Memorize it, meditate on it, speak it, and obey it. And so one of the things that you'll hear all the time in our settings is, what is God speaking to you through this passage of scripture or through the word that he's spoken? And how is he causing, what is he asking you to do with it? How is he calling you to obey it? Remember when Jesus commissioned his disciples in Matthew 28, the great commission, he said, go uh, into all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and what? Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. We, sometimes we forget that middle section, which it says, teach them about me, teach them about my commands, so that they will obey me. And so we want to be a people that not only pray and experience the presence of God, but that we respond to the word of God and we obey Ever been around anybody that knows the word of God, uh, like meaning like they know a lot of scriptures, but they actually don't embody it? I mean, don't point at anybody right now. That would be inappropriate. I mean, it's like, I mean don't say yes and go, yeah. Not appropriate. But you know what I'm talking about, right? It's not about you just getting the Bible in you either. I don't want to get the Bible and it become religious in you. I want the Bible to be refreshing and life-giving in you. And therefore, you're obeying in a way that's serving and loving God and others. That's what we're talking about. True biblical community comes with refreshing fellowship. Verse 44, 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and a fellowship. Verse 44, all the believers were together, had everything in common. They sold their property, possessions, giving to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts. That word in verse 42, the word fellowship is in the Greek is koinia. And koinia means to have in common, to partnership or to participate in a, in a committed way with one another. Uh, N.T. Wright, who's a theologian, um, uh, says it this way. What is clear in this passage of scripture is that fellowship is more than mere association. We're not just casually meeting with one another. The term itself means participation, and it is especially participation in Christ that brings them into a new level of sharing involvement with one another. Unity with Christ and the fact that Christians' identity and status comes only from what he provides allows for this transform, transformation of relationship. True fellowship means mutually participating in Christ so that reconciliation, forgiveness, 
and harmony become possible, right? That's what Christ provides for us when we come to him. Reconciliation. Those of us who are, all of us, if we were, as we were banished from God, he reconciles us to God. He brings us to God through forgiveness, through healing, through what he did for us on the cross. And as a result, we walk in oneness with God. That, that, that personal journey is also how we live with one another. We come together. We're reconciled in our differences. We forgive one another. We continually forgive one another because we continually offend one another, not on purpose, but just totally because we're stupid and sometimes willfully rebellious, but I'm not calling anybody out this morning. But whenever we do this, we forgive because we, we are called, as Jesus calls us to, to walk in unity. Amen? We want to experience this kind of community. And I want to just say this. We're not a social, cl- social club. We're, n- we're not an exclusive religious order. We're not just going through some rules here. We're followers of Jesus. And as a result, if Jesus is at the center and that's why you're here, then we're committed to one another through Christ. I was speaking to a brother recently, and he was having he he, he was com- very offended by some things that happened this week uh, as a result of his family, and he legitimately was wronged. It was a wrong situation, but the reaction to that wrong situation had everything to do with what the peace of God was going to be like in his life, let alone how he responded to others. His desire was to be angry. His desire was not to forgive because he was wronged, and he was wrong. But I said, bro, if you hold on to that unforgiveness, you're the one that's going to be in prison. You're the one that's going to suffer, not the people who have offended you. And furthermore, that's not how Christ has treated you and me. You've been forgiven. He totally got it ahead of time. He, he knew exactly where I was going. And then I said, you can do it. He said, oh, pastor. I knew you were going to say that. I said, am I lying? He said, no, I know I can do it. You can forgive them even though you shouldn't have to forgive them. You can love them even though you've been offended. And he did because Christ was in him. And why is that possible? Because Jesus has forgiven us. And when we have fellowship with one another, even in our, when we have fellowship with Jesus as the church, even those offenses and those hardships are doable because Christ is in the midst of us. But I want to go back to this and say we're not, we're, not a, we're, we're not here just for community. So I'm preaching a message on community, but if we think that community is the end all of what we're doing, then we've blown it. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says when he, in his book Life Together when he's talking about community and this experiment that he had with small group, a small group community that lived together 24-7. One of his clear um, evaluations of that time is that the people that come into community looking for perfect community or looking for that to be the ideal kill community. They kill it because nobody's ever good enough for you. If community is the end thing, if that's what we're looking for, then no church is ever going to be good enough for you. It'll be good enough for just three months until all the honeymoon wears off. And the first argument or the first doctrinal difference or the first offense, you go, I I knew it. This is like the last church I was in or the 30th church ago that I was at. Because nobody's ever going to be good enough. But if Jesus is at the center, 
I truly believe I could go to any church and I could be there for a long time because I could find Jesus and I'd find people who love Jesus and we do community. It just happens that you came to a wonderful church and never makes any mistakes, so you don't have to even have to do that. It's just it's amazing. Some people are like putting their hand over their eyes. I don't know what they're doing. Pastor's lying from the pulpit now. Jesus at the center. And so, furthermore, on that point, we're not going to water down Jesus so that more people can come into the door. Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only truth. No one comes to God but through Jesus. I don't say that in arrogance. I just say it because that's what Jesus said about himself. And I would not be a worshiper of Jesus if I watered down the things that he said about himself. So I say that in humility. And if you're in here and you're seeking, I just want you to know Jesus is not only the way, but he is life for you. He was life for me when I found him. He turned my life around, and I boldly declare him to anybody because he is life. And you want Jesus. You really do. You want Jesus. But if that offends you, that's okay. You can stay here as long as you want. We're not offended by people disagreeing with us as believers. As a matter of fact, there's been people that have journeyed with us for months and years who have never put their faith in Jesus, and that's okay. We love you. If it takes you a long time to find Jesus, then we want that. But we're not ever going to steer off of Jesus. And we're not ever going to water down what we believe the Bible is teaching to make it more comfortable. I, 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 I wear this... I don't know if at the time when he said it, it was an indictment or whatever, but one person when he started coming to our church years ago said that we were uncomfortably inviting. It's like, uh, I'm not sure how I want to take that. You're really uncomfortable. And we, after years of knowing him, I understood what he meant by uncomfortable. I think we might still be uncomfortable for him. But we also are inviting. And it's not because we are inviting, it's because the Spirit of God is inviting he woos us into his presence. Oh, there's too much to share. Come on up, Ben, as I look at the clock. Or come on up, Chris. <laughs> ben is... The scripture also goes on to say that we are willing to share all that we have. What does this fellowship look like? It looks like uh, Jesus in our center. It looks like giving of all that we have, sharing what we have in common. I remember when I was a college student, <clears throat> not a college student, a young single, the elderly lit lady that lived across the street from me, whenever I would visit her, I noticed that she pulled food out of a refrigerator. And I thought, this works. <laughs> I love on her. I say hello. She makes me a meal. Fellowship. <laughs> and it's true in Scripture that food is at the center of everything. You can, it's okay to play on that one. That's good. You're looking at me I'm, like, I'm, I'm not sure where he's going. Moment. I'm waiting for the moment. <laughs> uh, um, but we share life, not just meals, but I can tell you stories of anonymous bags of groceries and uh, people coming alongside of people in their sickness and sitting with them overnight and day after day, uh, being with them in their grief. Much bigger financial situations that have been resolved or have been totally carried by this church. People who've had medical bills that were way beyond their capacity and thousands upon thousands of dollars coming in uh, 
God for people in that place. I think about our foster care system that Brendan talked about in his sermon we talked about last week, but this wraparound care that we're talking about, where we have people that are fostering in our church, and more and more people are stepping up to do this, and we're trying to establish um, communities of care that surround them to provide babysitting for them when they need babysitting, to provide a meal, to provide encouragement, uh, to be a place of resource uh, when they have questions or need. Um, all of these different ways in which the church um, gives sacrificially out of the gifts and talents that we have and time that we have. This is the church. Let's not become weary in doing good, Galatians 6 says. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, we have an opportunity, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So they gave everything. They didn't stop meeting together. And the result of their meeting together, last thing, and then we'll respond, is that people outside of church took notice. Still the best illustration I can have for that is anybody ever gone um, puppy shopping? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it used to be, I don't know if they do this anymore, but it used to be that the puppy stores were in the malls. You know, and you'd walk down the mall and you're like, okay, I need another dog. You know, some, I'm sure that some people like had 10 dogs because every time you walk back by the puppy window, you're like, I want a puppy. Well, they did that on purpose. They put the puppies in the window because they wanted you to stop and look at them because they knew once you saw a puppy, you were done. The little puppy goes, you're going to take me home. Well, that's the way church should be. The windows of our lives should be completely open and there should be something so wonderful going on in the midst of us that when people walk past the window of church, they're like, I want in on that. I wish that we had windows here, but really that would be not what I'm looking for because this window here is not, looking in here is part of it, but it's just a portion of it. I want people to look into to your life. Superman. <laughs> I've done that before and fallen actually. Um, what was the symbol of that? I don't know. There's a take-home for that. Anybody have the interpretation? Come up to me afterwards. Wow. My knee. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Taking a leap to let people see into your life. Thank you, Elaine. Yeah. Oh, I'm okay. She's afraid that I'm going to push the whole thing off. Um, it's possible, actually. I said, I'm okay. Well, I just fell off the stage. I think nothing is okay with me up here. Um, we want people to see into our lives. We want your life to be on display. And the reason that you would want to be on display is because you're living an authentic life with Jesus and others. And so we want to cultivate that and develop that. Would you stand up with me? Father, would you do that in our lives? Would we be a community that is in awe of you, where Jesus is at the center, where we're sharing what we have and need, where there is sincere fellowship and encouragement, where prayer and the word and your presence are experienced on a regular basis, and lives are transformed as a result. And we wouldn't be ashamed of you. We'd be willing to have the windows of our life completely open to the world because we know that we have found life and life abundantly. Let it be seen. Let it be known that, Jesus, you are full of abundant life. So we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.